This is Gail Morgan welcoming you to the Libertarian Counterpoint. Now, your host, James Just. And thank you for joining us today. With me is John Cameron, and our special guest today is Angela McArdle. Angela, thank you for being here on such short notice. Thanks so much for having me on. No, you had a public statement to the L.A. City Council. Was it the City Council or the County Board of Supervisors? City Council. Yeah, so I did get it right. You had a statement to the City Council because L.A. seems to be going to the same direction that New York is, where they're going to try to require some type of vaccine passport. And we are not about vaccine passports. Papers to engage in normal, everyday life is a clear violation of human rights. So why don't you kind of give us your thoughts on that? Sure. So the the Los Angeles City vaccine passport proposal, it was put forth by City Council members Mitch O'Farrell and Nuri Martinez, and it's not just for entertainment. It says for all indoor businesses, including but not limited to, and, li- and lists a lot of businesses. So I took that to mean it also meant grocery shopping, the drugstore, you know, anything anything that you need to, to cross into a store, which is just really frightening. So the Los Angeles County Libertarian Party proposed uh, the, the following resolution, and we shared it at the last city council meeting. And it says, we, the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles County, oppose city council members Nuri Martinez and Mitch O'Farrell's proposed ordinance to require proof of vaccination in order for people to enter indoor public spaces in Los Angeles. This proposal is a dehumanizing, gross violation of personal rights. We believe people have a right to choose what they do or do not put into their bodies, and that government has no authority to compel medical procedures upon non-consenting persons. So that's where we're at in Los Angeles. It's kind of frightening. Yeah, this it's we're headed in a very frightening direction. And considering that the same people who were spent the last five, six years complaining about the rising tide of fascism are the ones leading this cause. It's it's almost more frightening because of that. It's like there's a disconnect between what they claim to be afraid of and what they are pushing for. And I, John, you got a kind of a, a, a thought on that? Of course I do. Um, <laughs> well, you know, if an individual business says, uh, one of my friends is, is uh, conservative. I have conservative friends. I'm trying to think of, I still have any liberal friends. Probably not. I hate that word liberal anyway. I just call him socialist. And he was complaining about, you know, having to wear a mask to to go to Costco, and he's only going to go places that don't enforce mask rules. And I said, that's your right. Um, it is a business person's right to exclude anybody they want. And they can say, in my business, you must wear a tutu to come through the door. And if you want to go to that coffee house and have a cup of coffee, and their their dress code is tutu. You can either choose to wear a tutu or um, um, go to a different coffee house, and that's fine. But when the government does it and says that to do everyday necessary things, which is grocery shop, uh, in this case, I think there'll be lots and lots of exemptions, and grocery shopping will be one of them. But if you want to go work out, which is necessary for your health, you've got to show a vaccine passport. Now, I'm willing to bet, you know, that that it doesn't say you have to show a genuine vaccine passport. Um, so uh, I'm not saying I'm doing this, but I'm sure if you if you look around, you can find a whole bunch of people that can set you up with some unofficial 
docs that say vaccine passport right on them. Um, so uh, I, what really bothers me is something that looks like it's going to stand even when this nonsense about vaccine passport goes away. And that's putting um, masks on children in school when the, the infection fatality rate for kids is like 0. 0.000 something percent. Um, and it's just crazy. And it's kowtowing to the Socialist Teachers Union uh, or, or whatever it is. And that drives me crazy. The, you know, adults can do a workaround, but the, the, the emotional, mental duress, the loss of education, the paranoia, the anxiety, and all the rest that kids have to deal with this, and, and this is unconscionable immoral and flat out evil so i did have something to say about it yeah well this whole thing is becoming downright evil in australia they're using the military to help enforce lockdowns they're having military literally snatch people off the street because they've traveled too far from their house or they're out past 5 p.m or whatever the arbitrary rule is for that particular day and it's become quite scary and mm -hmm. we've got this notion that we have there's people who are asserting they have a right to not come in contact with a deadly virus but we come in contact with deadly viruses every day mm -hmm. i recently learned that 90 percent of us have the virus that causes mono 90 percent of us do we have the right to not come in contact with that where mm -hmm. does this right to not come in contact with a routine virus and as severe as it is covid is still a routine virus mm -hmm. yeah absolutely this is like a gross misunderstanding of the concept exactly. of rights. This is sort of what happens, the culmination, when people don't understand what rights are and where they come from. Well, the thing about Australia, especially, is they don't have a Bill of Rights. At least that's my understanding. We have this thing called a Bill of Rights, which spells out, you know, the fact that that uh, um, in they have common law, and normally their common law is wonderful, but but. Um, the government can choose to do things in Australia, which is normally a pretty benign semi-socialist place to live. Um, lots of, you know, nice capitalists working hard. But when something like this happens, there's nothing to prevent the, uh, the government to order troops in to go house to house checking on people. Whereas in the United States, you can order the National Guard in for very limited things upon the request of the governor and and people would be up in arms about it if you tried that that stuff here um i hate to say this but probably some of those people would get shot whereas australia took all the guns away from everybody a while back because they had a a very small compared to the u.s mass shooting and decided that you know only under very very special circumstances uh can people have guns? So you have you have an unarmed populace uh, that has no bill of rights, and so whatever the government wants to do, they can. And now people are are, are seeing that. And and uh, I hate to say that all these deaths might uh, you know some some good always comes out of something terrible, and and the complete mistrust of anything that government experts say or politicians say on the on the. Uh, from most people, not just libertarians. We've known this for years, but, but now people on the left and the right are pretty firmly convinced that, that these so-called experts uh, don't know what they're talking about and, and, uh, and are, are bowing to political pressure and that all politicians are liars, except for hopefully not any libertarians that are you know, elected. But anyway, 
So it's a it's a bad state of affairs. And they don't the, because there's so little crime in Australia, they don't see cops. They never see the military. So this literally, I mean, we see cops all the time because we have so much crime here. So when, you know, if cops were patrolling the streets, we'd think, oh, it's cops patrolling the streets and maybe there's a shooting. To them, it's got to feel like the end of the world. It's got to be got to be crazy. Yeah. Well, they had some big protests in Sydney and Melbourne uh, but last week. And yeah. I know there's the grapevine has it. There's another one scheduled for the 21st of this month. So there there is still there is some uh, desire for them to reach out and to speak. But they're not allowed to actually speak. They don't have freedom of speech over there like we do. So, they're, you know, them actually having the right to speak out and to complain. They don't have the same rights as we do. And we we actually don't understand how lucky we are sometimes that we actually have this right to speak out. And as much as it's under threat with this joint joining of government and big tech, this, they're combining together. That's a, it's a threat. But we still have the ability to complain about it. And so, you know, hopefully that lasts a bit longer. Um, yeah, we'll stick on this vaccine passports. The Boston mayor is actually in what is a private move, a black Democrat mayor out of Boston, she actually compared these vaccine passports to slavery, Jim Crow, and somehow the birtherism thing. I'm not sure how she connected it to birtherism, but it's we're, we're not we're not completely off the rails here. We're, we've got people on all sides of the aisle saying, you know, we're going too far. And while this, you can all decide how serious this is. It's how far can we actually go? How many human rights are we willing to violate to save a life? Hmm. And how does that play out long term? Well, what what, anno what annoys me, it's, well, the, the short answer is every human right. They're willing to violate every human right. But what annoys me is these so-called uh, uh, progressives, which is, you know, how, how can you regress to a form of government that was shown to be uh, um, basically didn't work 400 years ago and call it progressive? How can you call people liberal when, when you know, if you compare it to the classic liberal definition, it's nowhere close. Why aren't these people concerned about the 100 million plus people in the world that have been pushed into the lowest form of poverty, which is less than $2 a day to live on, and the 30 to 40 million of those that are going to die early, if not this year? Why is their concern not with those people? Why don't they say, yes, for the greater good of humanity, you know, we can save some American lives, maybe if we use specious statistics to justify this lockdown. But how we, as the heart of the world, the vibrant light of liberty and caring, we're going to suck it up and take these deaths and get our, our economy cooking so it lifts up those poor people in Africa and Asia and all the rest of that, those people that are now starving to death. And this is not mentioned by anybody. So... Obviously, their motivation is not about caring, suffering, pain. Their motivation is completely about power and control and their political agenda. Yeah, I think sadly, progressivism has shown that it is not about helping poor people. It's about seeking revenge on political enemies. And that's that's where we're at. It's, it's why we see so many comments on social media talking about how we should just kill anti-vaxxers, they shouldn't be allowed to go anywhere or do anything. We should starve them out. It's, you know, a lot of violent stuff. It's, uh, it does not look good for progressives. It doesn't make them look obviously very compassionate. 
Well, no. since, since all of that stuff is is uh, is so bad, uh, uh, I don't use social media. I, I think it's anti-social media. Um, I think social media is sitting down for, you know, with a cup of coffee and, and across the table from somebody, maskless or, or masked, I don't care. I think social media is actually anti-social. Uh, aren't they stopping people from, from making these horrible threats and everything? Aren't they removing their tweets and their Facebook pages when they do this? Or because they are progressives, they're immune to the same laws that apply to either libertarians or conservatives? Yep, it's rules for thee, but not for me. Huh. Yeah, even well, even the Green Party members aren't are getting censored. So it's not just it's not just libertarians and conservatives. It's anybody who's not preaching this progressive party line is the ones who are getting censored. And it's very strange because as someone who has I have personally have no problems being part of a medical trial. So I took my vaccine. I took a vaccine and I had any reaction to it. Now whether the vaccine was the cause was the cause of my hospitalization or whether it was a contributing factor, there was still a cause. It was still it was still a factor. And yet the people out here who want to mandate vaccines are pretending that essentially there's that's ah, perfectly safe. But no, I could have died. There's lots of people who have died from the vaccine. And rather than treat these people like heroes, like of a, of a battlefield hero, they, they gaslight their families and their friends and say they didn't really get hurt. And you should be treating the vaccine injured or the vac or people who are killed as heroes, right? They're like soldiers on a battlefield who died. You should be treating them as heroes, and instead they're treating them the exact opposite. There's a lack of humanity from the people who are on the mandate side of these things. There's actually a lack of humanity. They're all very selfish and, and pretending to be caring about other people. Why? And that hypocrisy is what really drives me crazy. I can, under I can understand how people can have a vast variety of differences of opinions on world events. But when you have a, this gross hypocrisy, is what's really, really hard to swallow. Is there any... Any final words on this, Angela? You got an elevator pitch for someone who's for mandates that, you know, maybe you can give an elevator pitch for them? Uh, for mandates, I think that... Not for mandates, for someone who's for mandates that you want to get them against mandates. Right, right. You know, I would just urge anyone listening who thinks that everyone should be forced to be vaccinated to think about how horribly wrong that government medical intervention has gone in the past forced sterilization of minority groups and gay people experimentation and you know treating basically just dehumanizing people let people really use their humanity and exercise their own free will and and for crying out loud even if you want to force something you should have the common sense to make sure that it's safe and that there have been a few years of testing because we're not anywhere close to that right now and yeah. I also want to point well, out if you I'll, are, well, I, yeah. Okay, go ahead, John. Yeah, I'm as far as the the safety and efficacy of of the vaccines, um, I'm I'm I have a difference of opinion with you, Angela, about it. Um, I have felt that the FDA has been a roadblock to scientific research and required way too many trials on everything for years, uh, and that. Um, you know, there were there were twenty five thousand volunteers signed up to to be um, voluntarily uh, exposed to COVID to approve a vaccine in February of 2020, and the FDA did not allow them to do that. Uh, if they would have, and that's a forced trial. A forced trial is is the best kind of trial where you have lab animals and you you inject 
them with or expose them to a virus and you protect half with the vaccine and half where you don't, we have yet to do one of those. We're relying on on the on the long-term effect in a general populace to come up with good numbers. Um, if they had allowed that study to take place, then the vaccine would have been absolutely proven to work or not within a matter of months. And all of this nonsense that we've gone through, this the 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 justification for these lockdowns and throwing out uh, the last hundred years of public health uh, data to do something they've never done would have been by the wayside. I have uh, I have no problem with. Um, you know, you call it an experiment because the, the FDA hasn't signed off on it. They're signing no, off. No, no, that's not what I called it. I, yeah. um, no, I just James called it an experiment. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I don't okay. have a personal problem being part of a medical experiment. Yeah. It's, yeah. I stick far more, more dangerous things in my body over the years. I don't think and that so it's, <laughs> it's not about the FDA. It's just yeah. about if people want to make an informed choice, if they're unsure, I, most of us would like to see a, a couple uh, more years worth of data before we're forcibly injected you know personally i'll never take it someone will have to hold me down and physically put it in me but there are a lot of people who are just skeptical and now they're being considered these gross anti-vaxxers and they just you know they're just like can i just wait and see and it seems like government is removing that option from us to wait and see sort of like a flu shot or hpv shot people just want to wait you know i think that's reasonable to want to wait yeah, people call me an anti-vaxxer, and despite the fact that I have no problems being part of a vaccine trial myself, but simply because I, I want everybody, I want everybody to have the right to choose whether they are part of a trial, whether they have their medical treatments are for themselves. And I like to point out that you know a lot of our our viewers are pro-choice, and you we have essentially kneecapped that pro-choice argument. It is no longer valid because if mm -hmm. it's if the freedom to choose your medical decisions, the freedom to choose what happens inside your body isn't universal, it's not universal. And we've we've lost that and it's gonna there's gonna be long term consequences. Yeah. But absolutely. as we're yeah. speaking of long term consequences, Angela, you will be here in town, here in Sacramento, here in in next oh, about a month now. Right? You've been working with you've been working with uh Oh, ben. let me get this up on the screen. Ben here, our secretary here in town put this on the screen for a bring the troops home rally to end these, to end the wars end our foreign intervention and bring these young men and women home where they belong. And can you, can you give us your side? We had a chance to talk with Ben, um, not here on counterpoint yet. So can you give us a, your kind of view on what's, what's this is about and why you guys are doing it? Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be the 20th anniversary of the, st the official start of the war on terror. Uh, in the United States and abroad. And we really want to send home the message that the war on terror has absolutely failed, it's destroyed a lot of lives, hurt a lot of veterans and people in the Middle East. And we just want to bring our troops home for them and for everyone else. Uh, 20 years, right? 20 years in the Middle East, and it has not gotten us a freer, safer, more prosperous world. And it's just time to end it all. Yeah. Can I, I'm, as a veteran, uh, I was I'm an ex paratrooper, a former paratrooper. I never, I never, I don't think the crazy that allows you to do that ever leaves your brain. Just maybe the ability to bounce high enough the next time does. Mm. Uh, you know, we we've got this war machine and we use it. And um, 
we leave behind, we leave behind, you know, in Afghanistan, for example, that's the, the people that are going to end up ruling that country again, or medieval evil uh, despots. They, they, there is no sanctity of life. Uh, women have no rights. There is no age of consent. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on about all of the rights that human beings have that are not recognized uh, by the people that are going to take over. And unfortunately, the, the people that befriended us while we went in with the supposed mission of eliminating terrorism and, and establishing a, a democratic process in, these, in this country are being beheaded, killed, stoned to death, um, you know, and they're trying to get asylum here because they were stupid enough to believe that if they helped us, uh, we would actually follow through on a promise, which the United States hasn't ever done since maybe, you know, 1801. So, um, you know, the, 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 and we do this over and over and over again. And, and in some cases, you know, the motivation might actually be a good one because those people are freaking evil by any, any judgment. And the idea that, that um, they are not uh, by any moral compass is, is just wrong. But the idea that we should be the world's police and uh, support the military industrial complex by, you know, by sending um, men and women from this country somewhere with an uncertain mission with no goals and then changing our minds midstream. That's just ludicrous. Let's not do that anymore. Let's, uh, let's, we don't need, we have this thing called the Pacific Ocean and another thing called the Atlantic Ocean in between us and, uh, you know, major foreign threats. Uh, I think the, the threat of socialism, which has been proved to kill, what, about a quarter billion people, if you, you take into account Mao and Stalin and national socialism and all the rest of that, which is here on our shores, is much greater than any external threat we face. And yet we allow people who, who, who say they believe firmly in these failed systems to uh, write laws that, that are in direct contravention to our constitution. So, you know, let's, let's turn our focus inward and fix this U.S. disease before we go about uh, trying to, you know, tell people in the rest of the world what to do. Yeah, well, the path to hell is paved with good intentions, right? And that's not a yeah. saying, that's not an old time saying for, for no reason. I mean, it's, you intend to do well. I mean, we have actually, our whole conversation today has been about people who, if you, maybe there are actually good intentions. Maybe they do actually want to try to save people's lives. Or, but they've lost the script somewhere along the way. You've become, we've lost our humanity somewhere along the way. We're willing to violate human rights to protect human rights. But you can't protect human rights by violating them. That's not, it's not how it works. You can't yeah. make the world better. You can't make the world a better place by punching people in the face. It's not, it's just not how the world works. And it's just not how things work. And I'm glad to, to see that, you know, we're having, we're doing something here. And I know Angela's been working in the background, helping out the, the team here in Sacramento and getting this done. And so I want to greatly thank you publicly. Thank you for doing that. It's been a great, uh, it's going to great help. I, I have been kind of out of circulation for, for the last few months. And so it's been a big help that there's people around the state, libertarians and non-libertarians alike, who are willing to pull together for a common goal, for something bigger. And we've got about Angela. You are on another journey besides 
our trip here to Sacramento and uh, speaking at the 9-11 event, you are crisscrossing the country, running out for the chair of the Libertarian Party. So tell me, give me, a, give us your elevator pitch for you as a chair, and then maybe we can have a little discussion about what's it like crisscrossing the country talking to liber these crazy libertarian activists. Well, it's actually really great getting to know libertarians across the country, and it's just a really encouraging experience, especially considering the state of the world, you know, outside of our libertarian echo chamber. So I've really enjoyed it. Um, and what I'm pushing when I visit different states is that I want to make the Libertarian Party friendlier to libertarians again. I believe we have really strayed from a foundation based upon first principles and that we have been chasing the culture and the culture leans left right now. We're not, it's not even so much about national politics. It's about the culture. And we really need to cut that out at the national level and get back to basics and focus on sharing libertarian principles, libertarian values and building our own culture or being, you know, counterculture to mainstream authoritarian narratives. So I'd like to really improve our messaging. I think that's really important for the National Party and that once we get that in order, we're going to start appealing to people who share our values of uh, freedom and free speech and bodily autonomy. And that that's how you're going to see your membership and donor base grow as well. You got to you got to fix the the face, the outward facing uh, part of the party. Yeah, no. Um, one of the things that I've tried to deal with here is it seems to me that we have activists and volunteers, and the, mm -hmm. and, the, and the activists don't seem to understand volunteers very well. Volunteers can actually, and so it's it's a strange system. But the volunteers don't seem to, they don't feel like they want like they're welcome, and because there's a fundamentally difference. Activists are self-motivated. They have their own perspective on life, and they push and they they push through it. Volunteers just want to show up and help and go home. They don't yeah. want to. They don't want to possess it. And we have a tendency to say, oh, great, come in here. Do you want to help? Great, here, here's the project. Go off and do it. And we want to leave them on their own and have them go off and do things. So how can we bridge that gap between activists and volunteers and make and actually unify this libertarian family? I think that we probably need to have a better culture. And, you know, in California, at least, it would be great if we had some goals at the state level and some stated purpose. We all know that it's, you know, to achieve liberty, to make, you know, to get liberty in our lifetime, to make California a freer place to live. But what are we really trying to accomplish over the next one or two years? Mm -hmm. I think if we had better, more articulate, clearly stated goals, then we would be able to use our activists to help further those goals. And, and our volunteers can also help to further those goals. And we can all work together a little bit better. Uh, you know, uh, I appreciate activists and activism. You know, I'm, I'm an activist type myself. But one of the reasons I end up doing my own thing, right, is because I'm one of the people who's saying what we need to do because there's no direction coming from anywhere else. So I think probably, you know, better stated direction from the party would be helpful for people who just want to jump in and help for a little bit. Yes, yeah, some, some, uh, there is some direction because it's difficult. We, it is, mm -hmm. It's actually very hard for, for activists to, to understand that uh, – um, volunteer mindset, but I think it's actually easier for volunteers to understand the, the activist mindset. And so, yeah. but it does, it leaves us in, it leaves us in this strange spot is for someone like me, I'm more of a volunteer than I'm an activist. So I'm sitting here as a County chair. I get lost sometimes because, <laughs> because I'm more of an, I'm more of a volunteer. I, I was asked to help. And so I'm in this role 
And so I can sometimes struggle. And, you know, I, there's times where I think I should probably reach out to people like you, but you're so busy all the time. <laughs> I could just all one has to look at your social media profile and say you're busy all the time. Yeah. And so we don't. And so volunteers, they don't want to reach out and bother people who are busy all the time. And so how do we create a system somehow that makes these volunteers feel more at home, feel like they can interact with activists? Or how do we, maybe it's a better question, how do we get activists to tone it down a little bit so volunteers will actually be more willing to talk to them? I think that it would be good to cultivate more of a sense of community and culture within the LP. So maybe then we all feel a little bit more camaraderie. We're all, you know, individuals and we we want to do our own thing. We need to think about the best way to accomplish things and that's usually to work with other people. And that's something, you know, like it's challenging in the Libertarian Party because everyone is, you know, their own person and they do their own thing. But again, I, I think that lead, better leadership and direction at the state level and the national level is is going to yield us, you know, more it'll yield more for volunteers to do because leadership isn't just administration it's vision and without vision then you don't really have anything for other people to attach on to and pursue and that's something that we've been lacking yep and we are out of time i actually let us go over so i'm lacking in time management skills thank you for joining us angela thank you john for joining us and thank you our viewers for watching us and please remember from Team Counterpoint to love everybody. Well, thanks so much for, for having me on. Pleasure to meet you, Angela. Yeah.